0: but uh, feel free to rip into that that present and open up John's already already got his unwrapped What does it say John I, I will embarrass you. Maxwell leadership, Bible. Maxwell leadership Bible what what translation is it New King James all right well we hope that you will wear those things out Do we give money back uh, guarantees on those John if they wear them out you'll replace them all right, so congratulations to you all. I do want to, uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter one this morning. And I certainly hope that today's uh, message will resonate uh, with our graduates and be uh, applicable, though I don't want it to just be for them. I think the things that we're going to talk about today should be uh, applicable to all of the, all of us as Christians, and uh, we're going to be thinking about persevering in faith and pursuing wisdom. James chapter 1 also I'm going to have you a little bit later flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 that's kind of right there in the heart of your Bible there in the Old Testament Ecclesiastes chapter 10 so uh, y'all with your new Bibles you can go ahead and put some creases in them crease that spine and and get those pages unstuck James 1 and Ecclesiastes chapter 10 let's read together beginning in James 1 we're going to read verses 1 through 8 this morning as we begin James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, persevering in faith and pursuing wisdom this morning. The first thing I want you to notice from this text, verses 1 through 3, That faith is put to the test. Your faith will be put to the test. It is a plain and simple fact. You can count on this. That in this life, we face trials. We face temptations. We face tumultuous situations that will absolutely test our faith. James says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you face these trials. Consider it all joy when you encounter the trials that test your faith. So be ready, friends, everyone in this room, let me say this to you. Be ready for trials, hard things, tests that will absolutely stretch you to your limits. They will happen graduates you will be tested in your faith not the kind of pen and paper tests like you have passed and taken all of your uh, school days though you will have more of those if you choose to continue on in your education know this that tests trials hard things happen and they happen again and they happen again and they're difficult they're not fun they're not pleasurable and they stretch every bit of the faith that we have. But he says something really strange. You say, well, I know that. I know, I know tough times come. We have trials. We have temptations. The strange thing that he says here in James 1 is that you should consider it all joy when that happens to you. That is kind of weird. It's a little bit strange to think about considering it a joyful thing or having joy when we face these difficult times. What is the reason that we should be joyful in trials? Well, I think it's the outcome. It's what comes from passing the trial. That is, good things can happen. You know, for our graduates, I said, this is not just for graduates, but something that is a reality, those of you finishing up high school, going into college, your career, young adulthood, starting families, whatever these next few years bring for you, you're going to go through something. It may not be this year, but in the next span of probably five years, you're going to go through something that everyone goes through that comes out of the church, moves on to the next thing, and that is you're going to face a crisis of belief. You will encounter a crisis of belief. Some of you have already gone through this, actually, probably. This is the point when you're no longer carried along You're not riding on your parents' coattails of faith. You're no longer being directed, being shaken in the bed on Sunday morning and saying, Get up, we're going to church. I don't want to get up. Get up, you're going to church. Right? You're going to face this. You're going to go off, and and nobody's going to make you do anything about church or prayer or Bible reading. A crisis of belief. This is normal. And you've got to decide what you're going to do. But it, but it is normal. It's that process where you go from living out the faith of your parents or your family and now you will decide, is this your faith or is it theirs? The crisis of belief. Having worked in a Christian college for a couple of years, we saw this. And they told us this. In training, when you first came into orientation, they said, every student here has either already had this or they're going to go through it. They're going to be asking questions, coming to the point of saying, is this going to be real for me, the crisis of belief? And the reality is some will walk away showing that they have never really believed in Christ for themselves. But listen, it's not just for graduating seniors. There are things that come on each of us, at different seasons in life, different things happen in life where we get stretched to the very end of our existing faith. But there's a good purpose in that, a merciful purpose. The grace of God, even in the midst of all of these tough things, and the point of it, the good that can come of it is, listen, if you endure, if you press on, you will grow in spiritual strength and endurance—that's what he says here. Spiritual muscles and stamina will be built when you walk through and persevere in that crisis of faith, that testing, that tempting, if you will, as one translation says. We'll say more about this in just a moment. But now, let me say this: faith is essential. Faith is essential. This is no small thing. Some people would just lump it and go, oh, we're just talking about religion. We're just talking about church. Folks, we're talking about faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can have no relationship with God that is positive and peaceful without having faith. And so faith is absolutely essential. We think of it too lightly. When we speak about faith, folks, we're talking about your very salvation, your eternity. Your eternal joy or your eternal sorrow. You are saved by God's grace through faith. Faith is that connection between you and God where you trust him and you believe him. Faith is an anchor for the boat of Christian hope. If you want to have hope in this life in your Christian walk, it's going to be anchored by faith faith should not be taken lightly but we are sometimes prone to the drift and the deception that's out in the world that says this you know what's really important when you get out of school or when you get to be an adult is this money or it's romance or it's getting a good education or it's career or adventure or socializing or family and on and on it goes and just different rearranged priorities and very few people will say anything about faith and sometimes even in the church we don't say this so let me say it and say it emphatically today to you faith is essential without faith you're lost and so guard it fight for it persevere in it All of those things that I mentioned, money, romance, education, career, family, all of those things, they're not unimportant. Good things, but they're not the greatest thing. The most important thing, rightly relating to your creator, the judge of the living and the dead, knowing that you are safe and at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. And so, as we send you out, Let us say this and say it clearly. Trust Christ. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, you have never linked to God by an authentic belief and exercise of your will and placed yourself in His hands, trust Him today and be saved. Exercise faith. All right? But your faith will be put to the test. In verses 3 through 4, we see something really great. Not just that your faith is tested, but faith can persevere. Verses 3 and 4, faith can persevere. It can endure. We act like, and we hear all of these terrible statistics, and and we hear these horror stories about, you know, uh, students leave out, they go to college, they go to work. They leave the church and they stray from Christianity. And it's almost like it's a foregone conclusion that that is the only path in this world. (laughs) It's not! It certainly happens. And it happens with heartbreaking frequency. But it's not the only path. I'm here to tell you, there are Christian college students who are believing and living out their faith in a dynamic way. There are young adults who are living wholeheartedly for Jesus. It is possible. There are people who have just come through tremendous trials at age 50, at age 70. Things that you would just look at and you go, how does anybody survive that? And they come out with a faith stronger than they began. So it is possible to persevere in our faith and thrive as Christians. Man, my prayer and my hope for all of you who we just honored with these gifts is that you go out and be salt and light, that you model in whatever place and path you walk. You model Jesus to a world that's hurting. You are salt, preservative. You are light in a dark place. I'm going to tell you something. I have seen 19, I've seen 17, I've seen 20-year-olds, I've seen 22-year-olds who are making far bigger impacts for Jesus than a lot of folks twice their age. You can live for Christ. It's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to step away from the church and leave your parents home and you're going to go to the pit. (laughs) It's it's not. It's not a foregone conclusion. Press on. Persevere. Find ways. John talked about the sea otters. Well, you know, you're going to unlink arms with the sea otters of this church, or at least some of you. Find Christians in your College or your workplace, wherever you go, find people that are like minded, serving Christ. Persevere, keep pushing on and growing. Have an amazing impact. Grow in spiritual maturity. You can persevere. And what happens? Hey, but listen, you're going to be challenged. You're going to have roommates. You're going to have college professors. You're going to have people. Even maybe some who claim to be Christians that are trying to persuade you to go the other direction. Push on in the right direction. It will not be easy to stand, but you can stand in an evil day. And he says, here's what will happen. If you persevere, you will become perfect. (laughs) Well, some of us have already attained, no, we don't believe in Christian perfectionism. We don't believe that. The word perfect can also be translated as attaining the desired end result. Lacking in nothing. In other words, you can mature in your faith. You can get to the point where you are experiencing Christlikeness and holiness in your life. If you persevere. Like a, a piece of steel that is put into the fire, into the forge to be tempered. And strengthened. Have the impurities boiled up and boiled away. When you face trials, hey, it doesn't matter what age you are. Are you in a trial right now? A very difficult season of life? You know what happens to us when the pressure gets on? Stuff starts oozing out of us. Some stuff starts rising to the top that you didn't even realize was there. Maybe you say some things that you can't believe came out of your mouth. Or you do some things that you never thought you would do and you say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, when the pressure comes on and the fires are burning hot, the reality is the impurities of our lives and our hearts and our wrong thinking begin to bubble up to the top. But all of that is for this purpose, at least in the Lord's economy, that it would be purged from you. That you would see that thing and let it go away. Let it be taken from you. I don't think we practice this very much. It could be confession. We could call it repentance. Call it what you will. But I wonder this. I wonder if we are practicing the reality of laying down our sins, our disbelief, in our impurities. When those things come to the top, You're not supposed to ball them up and stuff them in your back pocket or swallow it like a pill. You're supposed to throw it as far away as you can. Allow the Lord to change you. I don't don't think we practice this very much in the church, just laying it down. There are some things in your life probably when you undergo trials, you realize there are some things that you need to walk away from. Maybe you find yourself saying or thinking or doing things that you know aren't consistent with following christ and you go where did that come from well very likely it came from you watched that in someone else's life or maybe you're entertaining yourself with things that are causing you to think in certain ways it becomes a part of you and i think we just need to practice repentance and letting some things go let the lord purge you in the midst of trials Hey. I'm I'm crowding up, I'm, I'm already saying I'm 50, I'm not, I'm 47, but it feels like same as, right? I'm coming up on it, and what I've realized is I have not attained to the level of spiritual maturity and all of these things that maybe I thought I would have at this point, but what I do realize is I learned a little song in kindergarten called He's Still Working on Me. To make me what I ought to be, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. The Lord at almost 50 is still working on me and I realize I have not yet attained to perfect Christ likeness but I'm pressing on and I'm trying to move ahead and not stay stagnant. How about you? What trial, what difficulty are you facing right now? Realize this, that the Lord has a good spiritual growth lesson in it. He wants to take you higher, no matter your age. He wants us to keep growing and pushing on. That leads us to the last thing. Faith will be put to the test. Faith can persevere, but faith must pursue wisdom. Verses 5 through 8 is about wisdom and these verses give us great advice what do we do when we face trials what do i do when i come up to an intersection and go i don't know which way to turn i have never been here before this is a brand new road for me i don't have a map for this here's what you ought to do what do you do we all google it first right but no algorithm or artificial intelligence can tell us what we ought to do, though it's all right to read about some things, here's what you ought to do. When you come up against a thing that is challenging you, you're facing a difficulty, you're in a trial, your faith is being pushed on, pray for wisdom. It's an ask of God for wisdom. How many of you all pray for wisdom regularly? Show me your hands. Okay. We should all be praying for wisdom, especially in new seasons of life, and we, when we come up against new challenges. But he says, ask in faith. Now listen to this. If you're a person of faith, then you'll ask God in faith for wisdom. And you can know this. God is a good God. He is a good father. He is not going to rebuke you. He's not going to say, why are you asking me what to do? Man, how many parents here... Oh, sometimes, sure, we show them So Come back to me later. How many parents here... Actually, absolutely despise it when your children come to you and say, you know what, I'm facing this trial. Would you please help me know what to do? Wait, has that ever happened to anybody? (laughs) On occasion when our kids are young, they will do that, right? And maybe then when they get a little bit older. But God is the same way. He's not going to rebuke you and send you away and say, figure it out on your own. When you ask for wisdom from God, you know what he's going to do? Believe that he's going to give it to you. Believe, ask, and pursue godly wisdom. The book of James is the New Testament book of wisdom. All right, so I said, uh, if y'all have opened your Bibles, all right, so our seniors have got their new one. How about y'all? Get your Bibles ready. We're going to turn back to Ecclesiastes. We're in the New Testament book of James, the book of wisdom in the New Testament. There are pretty much three other uh, wisdom books in the Old Testament. Some would say five. I would say three. Three. The book of Job, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Ecclesiastes. So this idea of pursuing godly wisdom, Old Testament, New Testament, we find it in James. In the book of Job, we find Job grappling in the midst of severe darkness and severe trials, grappling as really a fairly old man, a mature man, a person who is very mature in his faith, and he's grappling with The search for wisdom. How do I understand all of these hard things, God, that have come upon me? I need wisdom. I need to know how to live in the light of all of these things. The book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in that. That's a great training manual. Some people believe that uh, the Proverbs were compiled primarily as like a training manual for young people who were going to serve in the royal government of Old Testament Israel a bunch of compiled sayings, there's 31 chapters, especially, young folks, a great book. If you just want some practical wisdom, there's 31 chapters, whatever day of the month it is, you can go, you can read in the book of Proverbs and gain wisdom, it is God's word, it's timeless, and it's true. So just these practical, profitable sayings. And then the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a head-scratcher. It is the wisdom book, it's a little harder to categorize, and I think that the approach to the book of Ecclesiastes is this. It's, it's, a, it's a, the preacher, they call him, or Koalith, And he's asking, what difference does wisdom really make in life? I've experienced all kinds of things. I've seen that the foolish die and the wise die. I've seen that the same fate overtakes them all. Does wisdom really make any difference? He's asking that question, what difference does wisdom make? And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, I want to close up our time together with just some practical ancient wisdom for modern ears here today. And we're going to take that from uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 very quickly. You'll be glad I whittled it down. I was going to go through uh, verse 10. So Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 through 4. Let me read those, and I'll just make a few comments about this idea of pursuing wisdom from God. It says, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, "...dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool." If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. You leave here today, you say, man, we had our graduation, uh, our graduate recognition. What did the preacher preach about? Dead flies. That's what he preached about. I looked everywhere I could and I could not find one graduate card congratulating seniors that used Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's oil stink. You go, what in the world is this book? But it gets your attention, doesn't it? Makes you want to keep reading. And he says this, you could have this costly, beautiful fragrance worth so much, and you've got it out for display for all, like a merchant, you've got it out there for buyers, and there's a couple of dead flies in it. How many people do you think are going to spend their hard-earned money on your dead fly perfume? You can have this precious oil and just a couple of little dead insects make it stink. In the same way, he says, a little bit of foolishness can tarnish a whole lot of wisdom and honor in a life. When I read that and I think about that and mull it over because it makes you want to mull it over, what's he saying? Man, you can get educated. You could be very skillful in almost every area of life. But in some areas of life, with a little bit of carelessness and foolishness, it can tarnish or ruin all of the good things that you have done. I was thinking about a modern example of that, and I think you don't have to look any further than uh, uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock, what's going on. Will Smith was like, I mean, you know, my generation, the Fresh Prince, everybody would rap that song, and, and we liked that show. Many of y'all, Will Smith's like the golden boy of Hollywood, done so many great things, won awards, TV, movies. What happens? In a moment of anger, televised for all to see, he gets up and he slaps a fellow entertainer. And I'm going to tell you, he's canceled. <laughs> right? Canceled. Ruin. Dead flies in the perfumer's oil. And it's just a reminder, man, you can do so much good in so many areas, but if you're not pursuing godliness of life in every area of life, the bad things can outweigh the good things. And we realize that when we come up against trials and temptations and hard things, we need to be very careful in the way we proceed. Don't just keep on trucking through the intersection. We need to stop and with a spirit of humility and teachability, say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is the right path? And we need to learn not to proceed until we feel like the Lord has given us wisdom. We're too fast-paced. We feel like we've got to make the call right now. We need to be careful in our lives. Little small decisions can spiral out of control when we make wrong decisions and can basically take the trajectory of our life and take it somewhere we don't want it to go. Wisdom is embodied knowledge. What is wisdom? Well, it's skillful living. It's the ability to live our lives well under God in every area. Not just in our job. Hey, hey! If you're going to to, to uh, seek further education, training, great. Don't just seek to grow in knowledge and wisdom in your profession or in your discipline, but in every area of life, your personal relationships, the way you speak, what you do with your money, every area of life. Wisdom is embodied knowledge. Living well in every area of life. Don't let a couple of dead flies stink up your perfume. Here's another thing I learned from this passage, and we need to hear this. Wisdom is more than head knowledge. It's more than knowing a bunch of facts. He says it's in the heart. Wisdom in the heart causes a man to go to the right. Foolishness in the heart causes a man to go to the left. Wisdom is about the training of the heart, the loves, the affections, what we chase after. Sometimes we've got those things wrong. We're chasing after the wrong things because our hearts are going in the wrong direction. Give your heart to Christ. Submit every part of your life, your heart, not just your head. Don't just know a bunch of Bible verses. Apply your heart to do God's will. Wisdom is heart knowledge. It's training of the heart. So tune your heart to seek after God. The last verse that we read, verse 4, it teaches us something really important about wisdom. Why should we seek after wisdom? When we gain God's wisdom, it provides great composure and confidence and the ability to withstand heavy trials. And the picture here is that you're a man or a woman of wisdom and you're following after God And you know that God has led and he is leading in this direction. The Bible says that people that do their work well, who are wise, will stand before kings. They will do their work before kings. And the picture here is this wise person has now attained the highest ranks of the the government, if you will. They're doing their job for kings. They're going down this path. I I think the Old Testament prophet Daniel is a great picture of this. And now the king is coming against you. And the person who has wisdom says can stand with composure and confidence even when the ruler is coming after you. Wisdom allows us to stand in the midst of hard things. But if if we are just blown with the wind, whatever decision is popular, we're swayed by every new person that we stand before. What kind of life is that? But instead, a person of faith following Christ. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. We need this today. We need this today. All of us as Christians, we've got to get to the point that we know our lives are ordered, our hearts are ordered, our paths are being ordered by the wisdom of God. And we're going to face trials. People are going to stand against us. They're not going to like what we have to say and what we stand for. But we need to be able to stand with confidence and firmness and conviction and love so that we can stand in an evil day and stand firm to the end. Wisdom from God will give us that ability. So let me close with those two encouragements to you today. Press on in your faith. In the midst of trials, you can persevere. It will be tough. But press on. Keep believing. When you come to the end of your rope, you don't know what decision to make. Pursue the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom of this world. Ask God to show you the path. Believe that he'll show you. And then walk in the path with a firm conviction that the Lord is guiding your steps. Would you pray with me and then we're going to close with our announcements.